I wonder if you think that God's going to do anything now, today, right now, uh, later on this afternoon, maybe tomorrow, next Tuesday, next Thursday morning. Do you think God's going to do anything or have you succumbed to the dread disease of expecting that God will do nothing, neither good nor bad. I was stunned this week as I was reading through Zephaniah, which is not my regular habit. And the Israelites are told that the Lord is going to put a spotlight to them, will judge the complacent, and he says this. He describes a kind of spiritual lethargy that's overtaken them where they've just gotten to the point in their lives where they just don't think that God is going to act. And he says this, I will punish those who are complacent, who are like wine left on its dregs, who think the Lord will do nothing, either good or bad. What's God going to do? There's a way that the wicked say that. There's a way that people ignore God say that. I can live ever how I want. It doesn't matter. God's not going to do anything. That's the cry of the righteous over and over again in the Psalms. Don't you see, God? Why aren't you calling them to account? But there's a way that the righteous are afflicted in the same way. You go through the motions of prayer. You go into autopilot. You pray like a parrot. Or the same way that if you could teach your parrot to pray... Virginia has a, a bird in our congregation. It's her best friend. I never knew this was possible. Goldie Hahn, she calls it. Goldie for short. You could train a parrot to say words, to say the Lord's Prayer even. And a lot of us, when we pray, if we pray, it's something like that. We might even pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, Lord, and you fall asleep while you're doing it. You're so bored with yourself and so unexpected of God. Your prayers become rote. They got no verb. And underneath it all is this kind of thing that happens to all of us. You go about your workaday lives. You've got to be places. You have responsibilities. You've got bills to pay. Family members to tend to, neighbors who need things, board meetings that have to be attended. And you stop expecting. And you think the Lord will do nothing, neither good nor bad. And then you come to Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, who's telling us what happens, though, if you get the life of the heavens in you. If you embody this resurrection life as a resurrection community, one of the things about us will be a kind of prayer that expects God to do things. So our first point today, as you have listened to Rashad's reading of Matthew chapter 6, is this. Stop expecting nothing. Stop expecting nothing. And when you pray, Jesus says, do not be like the hypocrites... For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. 
Now, you remember last week we talked about giving to the poor and doing that in secret. All of this is under the rubric and heading of Jesus' little sermonette where he says, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men in order to be seen by them. He is assuming something here. He's assuming that anybody who is connected to God, who has the life of God in them, is going to do certain habits and practices, including giving, including praying, including fasting, which we'll talk about next week. But the particular danger of religious people is doing religious things as a way to keep God away, not as a way to draw near to Him. And so he says, essentially, what these hypocrites do, and hypocrite is another word of talking about a play actor in costume. You've got a mask on. You're presenting another face to the world than who you really are. These are people who go to prayer meetings and they pray eloquently, but they don't pray alone. And so with their prayer, they're not really trying to engage God or move God to act or offering themselves up to God. They are using prayer as a way to get accolades, as a way to get recognition, as a way to get applause. He said the same thing last week about giving. But don't you realize that when you start to do that, when you start to omit prayer in private, it's not a part of your life. And then you pray, though, in public, or you do religious things in public that you won't do in private where your real life is, where your real self is shown, you're actually not expecting God to be there or to do anything at all. He's out of the picture. You're not counting on Him to do anything. You're not counting on Him to call you on your insincerity or your hypocrisy. You're not counting on Him to actually act because you're acting for the benefit of other people. This could happen by being a grandstander. This could also happen by coming into a community where you're called upon to pray together and you won't pray. It's the exact opposite presentation, but the same motivation. You won't pray because you're afraid of sounding stupid or silly or unspiritual. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever not spoken up because you're worried about what someone else was going to think of you around you? Maybe you had that that thing that overwhelms all Presbyterians where you're in praise, like you were, you were starting to feel something inside of you and you almost lifted up your hands, but then like some gravitational pull like whipped your arms out of socket. I can't lift my hands. The trap door will pull everybody. Well, put me in an insane asylum. Because you're so worried about what other people think of you. And you've forgotten what God thinks of you. There's a great danger for us when it comes to prayer to stop expecting God to do anything, either good or bad. The hypocrites do it by not praying in private, but praying publicly so that people will see them. We might just do it by stopping to pray altogether. What's prayer going to do? There are real things to do. There's a real world to be attended to. There's a real economy to be served. There's real dollars and cents to be made. There's real problems to be addressed. What on earth is prayer going to do? Steve Brown has said in some place or another that Christians don't pray because they're afraid that God won't be there. That non-Christians don't pray because they're afraid He might be. See, religious people, we learn to temper our hopes because sometimes He doesn't answer the way we want. Sometimes it doesn't turn out the way we want. We've had some bad experiences and so we get 
apathetic and we stop to be appalled at our apathy. And so Jesus, by urging us to go into private and to pray to the God who is unseen and that God will reward you, is saying, I'm urging you to count on something. To count on something from the God who is. Because when you think the God will do nothing, neither good or bad, you're saying God isn't. God's not involved in the world. God doesn't care about the world. Despite all his protestations that he is. Despite all his assurances that he is intimately involved in everything and cares about everything that you do. You're saying it doesn't matter. He's not going to do it. There's a story that some of you know. And kids, if you're listening, this is a cool story to write down on a piece of paper if you can envision this. There's a story about expecting God to do things. A showdown on Mount Carmel that happens in the Old Testament. The Hebrew Scriptures, 1 Kings 18, where Elijah is this prophet. And there are 450 prophets of Baal, which is... A God that people in the ancient Near East, they worship. The Canaanite storm God. But the Israelites were to believe that Baal was nothing. He was not something to be heeded. He was not something to be adored or to be talked to or to be interacted with because he was not. And so Elijah, E-Dog, we can call him for short if you need to spruce it up. Elijah says, let's have a little contest here. Let's have a little one on 450 contest. If you want both my hands tied behind my back. Let's both slaughter bulls, make a sacrifice, call on our God and see which one answers by fire. Elijah expected God to do things. He expected non-gods to do nothing because they didn't exist. He expected the God who was and is and is to come to act. And so he sets up the parameters. Here, chop up a bull, build an altar, get a fire ready, the makings of it, but don't put any fire on it. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the sacrifice. So the 450 prophets of Baal, they call on God, their God, Baal, from morning to noon. Baal, they cried. Answer us, they shouted. And they danced around, trying to get his attention. At about midday, Elijah, as snarky as any millennial today, taunts them. Hey, maybe you guys need to shout a little louder. Surely he's a god. Maybe he's doing yoga. Well, he actually says maybe he's deep in thought. Maybe he's busy. Maybe he's traveling. He actually says that. Maybe he's traveling. you got to get loud. Can I get a megaphone for you? Maybe, Elijah says, he dozed off. And you'll catch him after his nap. You need to jingle the bell louder. So they shouted louder and louder, and they slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Maybe if we hurt ourselves, maybe if we offer up our own blood, maybe if we shout at the top of our lungs, maybe if we dance, maybe somehow or another we can get his attention. And this continued 
and their frantic prophesying from midday until evening. And listen to how it was characterized. There was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. There was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. And Elijah had an altar built at at evening. And he doused it with four things of water, four bottles of water, jars. He says, more, more water. Bring out the fire hose. Drench that sucker. Let the water drip down over the side and fill up the trenches of it. I want, I want everybody's hand tied behind their back. Let it be known today, he says, to the God who is, to the God from whom he can expect that you are God in Israel. Answer me so that these people will know that you are the Lord, our God, and that you are turning our hearts back again. And then the fire of the Lord fell and it burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones. I don't even know how stones get consumed. The stones and it even lapped up the water. God answered with fire. Sometimes it's a dramatic thing like that. But the Bible would urge us over and over again, as does Jesus here, don't let yourself fall into the dread disease of stopping expecting from God. He is. He does things. He acts. He heals. He guides. He restores. He changes. And if you find yourself never praying or only praying in religious activity in front of people, you've probably stopped expecting him to do anything good or bad. And Jesus says, get alone with him and expect much from him. The second thing that you can see here is that you need to be able to unplug in order to recharge. This is an electronics slash battery metaphor. Some of you have what they call iPhones. Some of you have smartphones. All of you have cell phones. You have tablets and laptops and all manner of devices upon whose batteries you are dependent. And when the battery starts to wear down, you've got to constantly charge them suckers up. And if you're like us, you've got 100 wires hanging out of electrical outlets everywhere in your house so that you can't even find one anymore. Jesus urges you to unplug that. If you want to be rewarded by God, if you want to be changed by God, if you want to have a relationship with God, you've got to unplug from really everything. A few years ago, I heard a middle school administrator speaking about the primary violators of his school's no cell phone policy. Parents. The children are not allowed to have cell phones. They're not allowed to talk on cell phones or text during the school day. But the primary violator of this policy is parents. They were constantly texting their kids. And he said, you know what's problematic for these children? Is that they never develop an interior life. They never develop any inner resources. Because when something bad happens to them, when they fail a test, when they're anxious about something, they never have to kind of sit in it. They never have to deal with it all day long, which is how it used to be. You would go to school and you wouldn't see your parents for like 100 hours later. You sure would never talk to them. Talk to your parents? It's good to talk to your parents. They're they're nice. 
But he says you never get that chance. And I think if you expand that, if you expand that more broadly, think about your own life. See, the hypocrites who are praying so that they can be rewarded by the applause of other people, well, in a very real way, that's what we're doing all the time by being constantly connected. When was the last time you were really sorrowful, really anxious, really bored, really angry that you didn't, in response to it, get on some piece of technology? You texted somebody, you got on Facebook, you checked the internet, you read an article, you played a video game, you turned on the TV. You can be constantly connected all the time and constantly unexpectant of God to do something about the world, yourself, your relationships, your work. And the devil is happy. You've got to unplug if you want to be able to recharge your life. You've got to be able to get away in private to God. That's why... Jesus is reported all the time in the scriptures, especially in Luke, as retiring often to solitary places in order that he might pray. He was always going off alone so that he could come back into the community, so that he could come back into the work that he had been given called saving the planet Earth and all of its inhabitants. And to do that, he needed prayer. So do you think... To be a mom that you might need prayer, or to be a dad, or to be a computer programmer, or to be a hospital administrator, or to be a nurse, or a doctor, or a construction worker. If Jesus needed prayer, silent, solitary prayer, in order to be equipped to save the planet Earth, you think you might need it to balance the budget, to deal with your anger, your addictions, your sadness, your marriage, your children? And see, one of the things that happens, Jesus knows this, and anybody who's practiced it knows it too, is when you get by yourself. When you don't call somebody immediately when you have a problem. You don't text somebody immediately, email them, Facebook them, tweet them. I don't know. Can you tweet them? When you get off by yourself and it's just you and God, you start to get weaned off you. And you start to get dependent on Him. See, there's a similar dynamic that happens. It's one of the freeingest things. And you know this dynamic. Is anybody in here, has anybody in here ever, when they thought no one could hear, sung at the top of their lungs in a shower? Okay, everybody, right now, show of hands. (laughs) Thank you. Look at that. Someone admitted it. I've done it. We passed a lady on the street the other day. She had her little cancer stick in one hand. She had the music blaring. She was, she was dancing and she was singing with all her might in the invisible bubble of her car on Signal Mountain Boulevard. Everybody could see her, but she forgot. And she was lost in the wonders of singing whatever song she was singing. I think it was the Black Eyed Peas. I don't know. She was bopping and grooving and dancing to the music. And she forgot herself. And when you're in the shower, when you're away from people where you have no audience, you forget yourself. See, because that's the best way to live. And Jesus is all about you forgetting yourself. So you get alone with God and you start to think that he is someone. You're not dependent on anyone else anymore. And you can start to interact with him as if he's someone and you become a person in the process. 
A person who can exist. A person who has sturdiness and durability. That's part of the reward you get when you go to the God who is unseen and in secret. You've heard the expression, perhaps, you never know God is all you need until God is all you have. I think that's true. This discipline of prayer, making it a habit and practice in your life, I've got to get away for a while to solitary places, to private places, so that I can wrestle with God, so I can offer myself up with God. It's a way of training yourself to know that God is all you need, even if it's not all you think you have. Stop expecting nothing. You've got to unplug if you want to recharge. And the last thing is this. God says, hey, superstition's silly. I want you to realize that superstition is silly. He says, when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Jesus is not rebuking long prayer. He's rebuking a kind of prayer that has devolved into superstition, to a mechanical kind of prayer. The pagans would heap up names of God in thinking if I say the names right, then the gods will respond to me. You've probably seen, maybe on the television, if you watch television, some of you people don't have a microwave or a television. Space aliens. And these group of men are watching. It's a joke, it's a joke. Everything's a joke. <laughs> They're watching a football game. They're in a stadium. There's four of them lined up, and the, the ringleader of the group says, Okay, guys, this kick is for the win. Labels out. Have you seen this? And they've each got their Bud Lights, and they turn their Bud Lights so that the label of the Bud Light is facing the field. Labels out. Here we go. And the fourth one at the end says, Wait, what? What are you talking about, labels out? And the ringleader says, our proximity to the field creates a parallel connection between the bottle and the ball. And second in command adds in, yes, the outward facing label simulates a smooth contact surface between the kicker and the ball. And the third guy says, yes, it's like magic, only it's real. It's like magic, only it's real. And the guy says, really? And so he reluctantly turns his label out. And the next thing you hear, field goal! And the crowd erupts for fans who do whatever it takes. It's only weird if it doesn't work. It's only weird if it doesn't work. And our lives are really quite filled with all manner of superstitions. If you've ever worn the same pair of soccer shorts because you won the last time and scored two goals with them? You didn't want to wash the winning dirt out of them? Winning dirt? I'm not, you know, you've got examples. You could come up with lots of them. But there's another thing that Jesus is denouncing here too. There's a way when you pray to pray like the pagans, which is just a way of foisting all your anxiety onto prayer and making prayer another aspect where you're trying to control every single thing. Have you ever had this thought when you pray? You're praying for great aunt Linda who's about to have surgery tomorrow and during the surgery you go, ah, I forgot.
got to pray that the surgeon wouldn't have a fight with his wife on the, on the one's way to work in the morning. I forgot to pray that he would remember to wash his hands. I forgot to pray that he wouldn't drop the surgical instrument into her. You see, there's a way of praying that is just trying to control everything and be God. That's why Richard Lovelace can say, too much praying and too little praying are both signs of a lack of faith sometimes. If you think you've got to cover all the bases and get every single aspect of a thing offered up to God, you're probably not trusting Him very much. The link here is not some mechanistic thing. We say it and God knows it. God knows everything. When we tell Him something, we're not creating a new situation. When you tell Him about your anger, when you tell Him about your shame, when you tell Him about your disappointment, when you tell Him about your greed, He already knows about it. When, he tells you, when you tell Him about the problems in our country and the problems in the economy and the problems about your job and your marriage and your children and your neighbors, He already knows. And so the link is not somehow getting it right. The link is that you're talking to your Father, He says. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So you bring yourself to your Father who's good, who sees all but won't turn away, who can do something about it, who's actually invited you in and said, help me run the universe by praying. Help kick off what happens on planet Earth and in your life and the lives of other people by praying. By praying to your Father. Jab Packer says, if you want to know how much someone understands Christianity, find out how much they make out of having God as their father. If you think you have a father in heaven who is really muscly, and he's really smart, he can connect the dots if he didn't pray it just right. You come to him because you expect his listening to be a vacuum that sucks prayer out of you. You come to him because you know he has the muscle and the mercy to do something about what needs to be done. You pray to Him, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven as a way of praying against yourself. I'm the kind of person who's tempted to make the whole world about me and it's killing me. Oh, would you get more famous to me? Would you get more famous in the world? Would you let me want the kinds of things that you want? You're praying for a realization of His rule. You're praying that you would conform your life to his because his life is the only one that's going to matter and it's the only life that can be so called. You're praying with all your nastiness and your filth and your apathy and your greed and your anger and your pettiness and your comparisons and your covetousness. You're offering all that stuff up to him and saying, Oh, Lord, let me have a warm shower of mercy to clean me off. And then somehow work magic, real magic, in me so I can forgive these chumps around me because they need grace just like I do. Superstition is silly, but private secret prayer to your father is full of reward. So here, I dare you. I dare you to take Jesus seriously. This week. Don't wait till next week. There's never a good time, good time to start. I dare you this week to follow Jesus' lead in thinking that prayer is something. And expecting God to do something. If you had an important client 
Would you be willing to meet with them for an hour or two at lunch? Without time on Thursday afternoon from 3 to 4 for an appointment with them? I think you would. How about during your workday sometime, if you have the flexibility to do this, saying prayer is something so important that I've got to, I've got to bring God in on my business. I've got employees to take care of. I've got mouths to feed. We've got an economy to worry about. Instead of reading more children's books, more parenting books, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take two, take two hours and I'm going to go off somewhere and I'm going to pray for these little people who are trying to ruin my life. Just kidding. These little tyrants need the wonderful God, grace of God in their lives. Just like we do. A teacher of mine, Dave Hansen, said, I decided as a pastor I was going to pray so much that if prayer failed, my entire ministry would fail. Jack Miller was always telling people, pray twice as much as you think you have time for. Because here's the great secret. You think, I don't have enough faith to pray a lot. That's what Satan wants you to think. You go to prayer to get faith. That's the thing. I don't know any other thing that I do besides being with the scriptures and being with God and silent, offering up my whole self. I'm not silent. It's very loud. It's very boisterous. It's very embarrassing if anybody saw me. But it's private is what I meant to say. Nothing makes me start to expect God to work than if I do that. I go there and find faith welling up within me. When I'm not doing it, I don't want to do it. I never want to crack a Bible. I don't want to go spend a long time in prayer until I'm there and I meet with God and I get changed inside and I start to hope differently and I start to expect differently and that feels like living. Expecting God to do things. Just like Jesus expected him to do things. 